Okay, welcome uh, everyone. So uh, we're going to do as we usually do. I <laughs> expect uh, just the standard way to starting off with uh, talking a little bit about meditation practice uh, and then uh, doing some doing the real thing afterwards. Uh, that's at least the theory. We'll see how things go. Uh, so one of the um, beautiful ways of uh, thinking about meditation which we find in the suttas and which also is really true to personal experience is this idea of finding a refuge uh, within yourself. Uh, and uh, it's a very beautiful idea because, uh, you know, when um, the, the world outside, we know basically it is uh, in turmoil, it is problematic, we never know what's going to happen next. Uh, and then we want to turn away, turn within instead and find something within where we can have a sense of peace, a sense of uh, getting away from that world uh, and actually we can find something very powerful and uh, delightful inside instead. Uh, and one of the ways to do that, of course, and this is one of the reasons why we have a noble eightfold path, uh, not a noble oneful path, yeah, the mindfulness path or whatever, where we have all of these other factors. Uh, and the reason we have that is basically to polish up uh, and to refurbish uh, and to kind of uh, make that uh, refuge within, really a really pleasant place to hang out. Uh, and the more we practice the first six factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, uh, the more pleasant uh, and the more delightful and the more inviting is going to be the refuge inside. Uh. This is how this kind of path all sort of holds together. Uh. There's of course more to it, but that is kind of the, one of the basic ideas of finding refuge. Uh. And the Buddha talks about this in the suttas. Yeah, this very famous passage in the last sutta of the Buddha, the Buddha's great passing away, where he talks about where to find our refuge in the world. And of course he talks about the Buddha's teachings and these kind of things. But very interestingly, he says that meditation practice is like the real refuge for a monastic or any Buddhist, uh, yeah, anyone who is a serious Buddhist practitioner, uh, the idea of a place where you actually are, uh, where there is a degree of uh, uh, things don't touch you in the same way anymore in the world. Uh, you're kind of separated from the things in the world or the problems in life. Uh, and there's a place where you, you are in charge, you are in control of yourself. Uh, and a feeling that uh, you know, your life is uh, under a degree of control, which otherwise it would not be. Uh, don't buy too much into that idea of control, because of course that's another illusion. Uh, but there's more a sense of control than you normally would have. Uh. And so this is the idea. So we polish up this refuge. Uh, and then when we start the meditation practice, uh, the idea is then to use that polished up refuge uh, that we have created for ourselves. Uh, build that up within. Uh. And to build that up within, you then lean on uh, those things that you have done otherwise. Uh, yeah, you lean on the fact that you're part of a marvelous Buddhist community. Uh, you lean on the fact that you have this extraordinary teacher called the Buddha. Wow, look at the Buddha as a teacher, jeepers, that's really amazing. Yeah, It really is amazing uh, and it's kind of hard to see, but the point of course is it, it is really astonishing. Yeah. You lean on the fact that you have been living well, uh, you have been doing the right things. Yesterday I talked a little bit about the various ways of ensuring that you get more joy and happiness out of our actions, uh, yeah, that we actually look at the things that really give rise to positive feelings inside. Uh, and once you do that in an ordinary life, then when you close your eyes, uh, you can bring these things back in reality again, bring them into the here and now, uh, and make something really wonderful out of them. Uh. So this is uh, how we then build up this refuge. And the more powerful your meditation is, uh, the more peaceful you become, uh, the more uh, joy and happiness you have in your meditation, the deeper is that sense of refuge. Uh, the deeper is a sense that you found something really solid, uh, something which is beyond ordinary uh, worldly conditions that surround us. Uh, and this is extraordinarily useful in life. Yeah? It's a kind of the thing that we're all really looking for at the end of the day. Uh, uh, famously, Ajahn Shah, Ajahn Brahm's teacher, said this is our real home. This is, really, this is where we really feel at home for the first time. Uh, yeah, where craving dies down uh, and you start to really settle down into a place. Uh, there's no need to go anywhere else. Uh, a real place of safety, uh, a real place of refuge. Uh. So build up that refuge uh, in your life. Uh, and then when meditation comes, uh, then 
try to gain access to those things that you have built up uh, to actually make that refuge within your meditation practice. Uh, and then you will have something that will uh, uh, be there for your benefit for a very long time into the future. Uh. So um, let's try to do some meditation together and see if we can make this work in practice. Uh. Okay, so I'll just give some very uh, simple instructions just to get us started. Uh, and uh, as always, just uh, make sure that you are really at ease and really comfortable. Uh, so many people make this mistake for years and years uh, where they don't really uh, understand the importance of just finding the ease of the body. So the body can disappear and the focus can be on the mind instead. Uh, so be relaxed, uh, be at ease, uh, make that relaxation as deep as you possibly can. Uh.
and uh, then just gradually uh, allow the world outside to fade away. Uh, remember, there's nothing of real value in the world outside. Uh, it is a world that never really delivers uh, what you think it will. Uh, there's nothing there of interest. Uh, so allow it to fade away uh, and come within and as the world outside fades away, uh, build up that refuge of gladness and peace inside instead. Uh, feel the peace that is here. Uh, reflect very gently uh, on the wonderful fortune to have such kalyanamitas uh, or to be the fact that you are a disciple of the Buddha or whatever works for you. Uh.
Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, coming close to the end of the meditation, uh, and uh, as always, just take a few moments just to review the practice today. Uh, and if you do feel more at ease, more relaxed, uh, more peaceful, more mindful, more joyful, more stilled, uh, whatever it is, uh, ask yourself why that is the case. Uh, Okay, everyone, that's the end of the meditation. Please uh, sit comfortably. Uh, ah, thank you, Ben. Great. So are there any questions from... Uh, Inside the hall here, anyone here want to ask anything? All right, so it takes a few questions from outside. Okay, so we have the first question is from Indonesia. Hello, Indonesia. Uh, how is becoming a monk help you in your meditation? How did it work for you versus when you were a lay person? Uh, how do you suggest a lay person to do in order to learn this path? Uh, so you want to ask a question? No? You're right? Yeah? Okay. So how does being a monk, how does that help you in your meditation practice? It helps in many, many ways. Uh, uh, you know, the Buddha laid down the monastic life. It obviously was to, because it was the, probably, you know, the, the kind of the highway to Nibbana, if you like, uh, only if you practice it well. If it doesn't work if you don't practice it well, of course. Uh, but when practiced well, then uh, it is very helpful. Very helpful because you have more seclusion, yeah? You have more time for meditation practice and study of the word of the Buddha and these kind of things. Uh, it is good because you have many Kalyanamittas, good friends, people practicing in the same way. Uh, it is good because in the monastic life you often find the people who have gone furthest on the path, which is to expect it precisely because you have the best conditions, uh, right? Uh, so there's uh, lots of benefits uh, of being a monastic. Uh, and uh, anyone who is really serious about the practice and who doesn't have commitments uh, that they can't get out of, etc., I would really recommend at least staying in the monastery for a while and see how it works for you. Uh, and you may find that it is a super-duper way. Uh, you may find that highway in your own life, in fact. Uh, how does it work for you versus when you are a lay person? Uh, basically, I, for me, in it's a long time since I was a layperson now, almost 30 years ago, but uh, uh, basically I just found it more difficult to find time for meditation practice and anything really. All my friends were thinking differently from me. They were pulling in one direction, I was going in a different direction. And it was just much, 100 times harder in lay life than in monastic life. And it has to be said, there wasn't really much of a Buddhist community where I was. In fact, it was pretty much zero. That, of course, doesn't help. So here, if you are in a place where there is a Buddhist community, certainly that helps. Still, it is much more difficult. But that doesn't mean if you have commitments, you can't get out of the things that you, you know, life is kind of, you're stuck in the way you are, make the most of it. Yeah, make your entire life into 
part of the path. And uh, once you start to think like that, everything becomes part of the path of practice. Then even as a layperson, you can have good results. Uh, but it is definitely more challenging here. So uh, how do you suggest the layperson to do in order to learn the path? Well, you just uh, uh, practice the Noble Eightfold Path to the best of your ability. That's really uh, what it is about. Uh, all right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so next question. In your last talk, you said that sometimes our meditation does not go further due to attachments which we need to investigate. Uh, how do we investigate and what do we do to let go of it? Uh, um, so usually it's kind of very easy to know where those attachments are. They are almost always in the realm of the body or the five senses. Yeah, We are attached to things in the world outside, uh, which includes the body. The body is part of the world outside. Uh, and it's kind of obvious. You can see that very often in your meditation practice. You can see where your mind is leaning, what your mind is interested in, where it tends to go, what it tends to think about. And those things that you think about, those things that you obsess about, uh, those places your mind likes to hang out, that is where you have an attachment. Uh, this is like the bhava, your existence in a sense. Uh, so you can know that. Yeah, What are the things that preoccupy you, where your mind likes to think about? Is it maybe your relationships, maybe your work, maybe some problems you have in your life, whatever it might be. Maybe the, maybe the world at large, maybe you worry about, I don't know, climate change or wars or whatever. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, wherever your mind hangs out, that's where you have a kind of attachment. Uh, sometimes it goes deeper than that. Sometimes you may find yourself becoming quite peaceful, not really thinking about anything. Uh, but still, the mind kind of stops. Then it's more difficult to know what your attachments are. But you can take it, generally speaking, it's going to be somewhere in the world of the five senses that the problem is. So gain a little bit more of distance from that world. Build up some more joy and happiness. Build up that inner refuge inside. And when you build up happiness within, at the same time as you kind of reject the world outside, that is a very good combination for deepening your meditation practice. You're, build, you're doing the two things that really make meditation work. Giving up the external world, building up stillness and happiness within her. This is from uh, next question from Sitara. How can animals make good karma while, while being with humans? Uh, uh, is there any line to draw in animals? Well, that this line down animal can't be born as humans and vice versa. Um, is there any line drawn in the animal realm? Okay, I see that from this line down, animal can't be born as humans. Uh, okay, so how can animals make good karma? Very difficult, yeah. You can tell your dog, please make good karma. The dog may not listen. <laughs> that's, that's the problem, right? Animals, this is the difficulty of the animal realm. Your mind is such, it's very hard to really grasp these things and understand what, uh, what to do. So I would say the best way to help an animal to a good rebirth is to be kind to the animal. Because a kind someone who is treated with kindness uh, will tend to be happy, yeah, will tend to be joyful. Uh, and that joy and happiness that may arise even in an animal may be sufficient to kind of lift it out of that realm. Uh, so that is really the way. So it's not so much about making good karma, it's about helping them to lift up the mind a little bit uh, so that the mind is more happy, then the better rebirth can happen as a consequence. Uh, Sometimes, if you're an animal, you just have to wait till your bad karma is worn out, and then you get reborn in a higher realm as a consequence. And no, there is no line. There is no line below which you cannot be reborn as a human. Otherwise, you'd be stuck in the animal realm forever. Yeah, and that's not the way Buddhism works. The Buddhism works in such a way that the karmic causes from the past are so complex that you never really know where you can get reborn. But if you do get reborn in the animal realm because you have been living badly, then it can take a very, very long time to get out of it. So it's best not to get reborn as an ant yeah, or a mosquito, anything like that. It's a bad idea. So please avoid that rebirth in your next life. Uh, next one is from Joshua. 
I am trying to understand what the self is, self is or rather non-self. Could you elaborate on it and perhaps give some insight to understand and experience what non-self truly is? Thank you. Okay, so um, <laughs> non-self uh, is really the experience you have right now. That is an experience of non-self. Yeah, we always, all our experiences are non-self experiences. So it's not really scary at all. People think the idea of non-self is scary. Actually, every experience we have is an experience of non-self. But then we add something to that experience. We add a perception of something persisting through time. And that idea of something persisting through time, something self-same going on over a long period of time, that is called the illusion of a self. But it's something that we add to our experience. So it's very ordinary. We're all used to the non-self experience. It's there all the time. It's just that we misconstrue it. And we construe it. We try to make a self out of a non-self experience. So what the job of Buddhism then is to actually see through that illusion uh, and to understand that we are adding to the raw data. The raw data, there's no self. Uh, it is what we add to it which is the problem. Uh. So what we're trying to do is undo a delusion. Yeah, makes good sense. Why wouldn't we want to undo a delusion? Uh, delusion just means that you make crazy decisions in your life. Uh, whenever you are deluded about something, uh, whenever you don't see straight, you can't make good decisions. Yeah, that's obvious. Uh, because you need the kind of clarity of mind to see things properly here. So that is a brief introduction to non-self for you. Um, last question for today. I have a lot of energy which makes restless as I have no outlet. I would like to channel it into meditation, but I don't know how. All right, so there are two kinds of energy in the world. There is the energy which is restless, which is the energy that relates usually to the sensory realm, which comes from craving, comes from desire, and that is the energy you want to overcome. That energy is problematic. That energy is never going to really lead to stillness. And the way to overcome that kind of restlessness is just to understand that there is nothing really interesting in the external world worth chasing. Everything that's interesting happens in the spiritual life. And so what you want to do then is you want to build up the energy of the spiritual life. That energy comes through uh, living well. Yeah? Basically through living well. Being kind, avoiding the bad things, being generous, uh, having compassion for the, all the beings in the world, uh, reducing your anger and ill will, uh, understanding the problems in the sensory existence, etc. And as you do these things, uh, then gradually your mind shifts and you build up a degree of energy. And this is the kind of the positive energy where you get joy from living well, from thinking that, wow, I'm, I'm following the Buddha. Wow, what a wonderful thing. I got the Buddha as my teacher. Jeepers, I'm so lucky. Yeah, well, All of these spiritual companions we have around the world. Yay, hooray. <laughs> when you think like that and you actually get some energy inside from these kind of things, that's when you're on the right track. That's the, called the wrong energy and the right energy. The right energy is still and peaceful. The wrong energy is restless. Uh, that is the difference between the two. Uh. Okay, everyone, that is all for today. So let's just pay respect to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha.